people taco night. White people taco night's the only fucking good taco night. Why not? Ha. I am gonna scooch a little bit though. Oh, fucking carpet. Alright. You know, using AI for five seconds to make this, I'm impressed with the quality. <laughs> Love the background. I, I <laughs> it looks like we're behind a bar. I, I, I know your chairs are we're, a little bit shorter, but it's actually big. ridiculous how much bigger than you I look. I, I want to make the joke. It looks like the... Eddie Hall next to fucking... Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> I want to make the joke like this is how, like... Oh, by the way, have you seen World Eddie War Hall's... Two, like, uh, his most Americans short? saw themselves within oh, Jap- uh, Japan. Fuck. Like They were so much larger. See and the Japanese were like seconds. children to them. Uh, grab that stool. Of course it's not going to work. I don't know why I didn't make this my setup in the first place. I think like a bar makes more sense. Is this uh, AI? Yeah, I just AI'd a thing and then I changed it so the bar's in front of us. Okay, and now the time we gotta do this. Sorry, I didn't know we were on a schedule, boss. I don't want to lose the light because the green screen—it's mostly the daylight out there that helps. Oh, right, let's do this. I'm not getting paid enough for this, folks. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pacific War Podcast. I'm joined here by uh, well, the two reoccurring faces on an audio podcast. You've probably never actually seen them, but uh, it's Justin and Ian that are surrounding me. Hi there. And, uh, you know, for Patreon members, I'll probably actually put a video of this out because I've made like an AI bar. So we all look like we're sitting at what would be a war-torn World War II kind of Japanese bar. Isn't this a yeah, real bar? Because any other YouTuber <laughs> would just pretend it's an actual bar there. He has to go and call himself out like an idiot. Of course I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm this actually, is definitely a real I'm bar, I'm actually folks. 8 foot 10 in real life, so this is a realistic yeah. bar. Yeah. But, uh... The subject matter of this episode for people coming over from Kings and Generals, uh, they're probably going to be like, oh, great. It's uh, Craig shit-talking Douglas MacArthur again. So I'm kind of notorious at this point, and I thought it would be kind of just fun to grab my friends and explain to them the lesser qualities of, you know, Julius Caesar Douglas MacArthur himself. And uh, to kind of narrow it down, because I don't want to talk about his entire career or anything, but I'll just talk about a little bit like who he was and um, his unbelievable blunder in the initial Philippines campaign. That's what it'll be limited to. Now, for those of you who are history buffs like me, you'll probably know that Douglas MacArthur was an old Spanish warship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think she had a voyage in the 1800s. In the Civil War. And she was eventually sank by the Kraken. And, uh, yeah. his, his last name translates to a whale's vagina. Yes, yes that, of course. That, that's exactly it. No, to be honest, uh, Douglas MacArthur is one of those historical figures that I've heard the name a gabillion times and I know nothing about. So feel free to uh, shit talk all you want. You, you can't say Douglas Douglas MacArthur. Yeah, you can't say Douglas MacArthur without me uh, fumbling my words. No, immediately I always just go to like uh, Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, it's not a bad like movie. for the look. Yeah, I mean Tommy Lee Jones is just an endearing actor, and he's good in everything he does. And you know what? They actually that movie like made him look too good, though. That just for thing. reference, the movie is uh, Emperor. Emperor. I think it came out like ten years or so. It's an old. It's old now. Yeah. It's not too bad, but it like covers him in Japan after the war. So him like the transition period where he literally was the shogun of Japan, (laughs) going around in a kimono, 
That's very true. He he wore kimono in private all the time. Did you guys know that Tommy Lee Jones is gay? Did I? No. <laughs> no Tom Segura fans out there? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Shitty reference. I, I, I heard that podcast, so I know that joke. So, right. I mean, obviously Justin's representing the general audience. You've never heard of this guy before. Like, who cares? You probably, the only reason people have heard of his name today is because I think it was in 2016, Trump said it was his favorite general, which is ironic as hell because they share a lot of narcissistic traits. I just made this comment five minutes ago, like, uh, Douglas MacArthur was the Trump of his time. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he was. And, yeah, you know, it you know, worked a, for him. Too. A, a MacArthur Grant and a few other things that his name gets thrown around. But, oh, uh, my God, yeah. But uh, well, here, I'll, I'll pitch the question to Ian. Ian, what do you know about Douglas MacArthur? Well, he was very pompous. Um, yeah. Another uh, general of the time who you could compare him to is, like, uh, uh, George Patton. Like, just, like, yes. inflated ego megalomaniac. Like, these are the, the kinds of generals who they see more of them in themselves than others do yeah. necessarily but they use that inflated ego to push themselves higher and higher and more critical to the war campaign and not necessarily equating to proper leadership or actually like deserving the role like you have to take macarthur break him down like what makes him a good general like nothing stands out about his uh, his strategies and tactics oh. he's not a genius of his time but in his mind he was and he oh, was the most sure. essential key to American victory. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call him an idiot. Uh, MacArthur was very well educated. Right. He, he was a smart guy, for Absolutely. Sure. The way he navigated politics within, like, the American mm. circle, like, um, getting the funds that he required, getting the materiel that he required. Which he was good. great at... Uh, he was successful at, at that, at yeah. Getting what he wanted, uh, like, taking from the Navy what he wanted. <laughs> His number one enemy. Not the Japanese, but the United States Navy. Uh, I will <laughs> be honest, like, I am... Uh, uh, how would you say it? Like, I'm not a fan. Uh, yeah. I definitely would side with his adversaries within the Navy. Like, I have, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely have more respect for... For men like uh, Admiral King or Admiral Nimitz. And these are these guys were always uh, but, butting heads with MacArthur. You know, his best friend was Halsey, though. Halsey was in the yeah. same area as him, so they both had to yeah. fight for the same when, resources. Uh, um, he was, like, Halsey was the, like, the Navy attache to MacArthur for well, a bit. They, they basically, the, the area of the world that they were working in, they were both there. He was representing yeah. the Navy and yeah. MacArthur, the land forces. So they had to fight for resources together no matter yeah, what. Yeah, they got on Stellar, uh, their families as well, Halsey's yeah. wife and uh, MacArthur's wife. They yeah. became besties. Uh, Halsey had, there's a lot of primary uh, quotes. He liked MacArthur. He said he was a soldier soldier. MacArthur yeah. rarely said nice things about other people, yeah. but he said nice things about Halsey. And Halsey was, uh, to a fault, a honest man. Yeah. He, he wouldn't lie. He wouldn't uh, say things just to gain favor with someone. He said it. Uh, he said it as it is. And yeah. And Halsey is a big, big, big reason why MacArthur was able to get things because. But apparently, a lot of his, um, a lot of that stems down to personal interactions with MacArthur behind yes. closed doors. Well, but that's right. that's how MacArthur worked. Yeah. Apparently, like yeah, in person, he was a very like nice guy. He was like. Oh, I'm sure he could talk anybody into like any party he would go to. I'm sure he's the life of the party. He he he's known as America's Caesar. So you have to picture a guy who literally thinks he's Julius Caesar, and this guy also happened to speak about himself in the third person. He was a genius when it came to navigating big time. When he was navigating public opinion, like he had such a knack to it. 
Yeah, but is that the center of attention in a good way or the center of attention where everybody's making fun of him because he speaks of himself in the third person? There's a ballads lamenting him. (laughs) There was a nickname that I'll get into because it's going to be in the Philippines, but there was a a song literally made from like the American National Anthem just to make fun of him. Really? But I'll have to explain it later on. Kind of in a lot of ways like Trump where Trump could go on stage and he could lie about a hundred different things, but you're still going to be on board with what he's doing. You'll give him the benefit of the doubt stuff. Like there's a lot of that kind of energy. It's hard to like say in this day and age, but he would be a, a Trump like figure for better. Okay. Or worse. Uh, but like, I'll, I'll say a little bit about his upbringing. I can't go into great detail. I'm not doing a biography on him. Uh, Kane Kings and generals had me do that already. And it's been a lot of fun, but there's too much information because he has a very colorful career. And he was like a war hero from World War One. He has a very, very long career. Uh, and his family is pretty he, important. He was a military man. For yeah. Sure. yeah. So uh, Douglas MacArthur, he was born in January 26th of 1880 at Little Rock Barracks in Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas. Arkansas? Arkansas. Arkansas. I don't know why I said Arkansas there. Anyways. Too, uh, too sassy. <laughs> this is the one with the higher degree of education. Oh, it doesn't mean anything. Nah. It doesn't mean anything. Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Oh, man. Jesus There's some people Christ. online that are going to get me so bad because I mispronounced some ships that are like United States States. Anyways, I, I'm going to eat some shit for that one. Uh, he was the youngest of the litter. And he comes from Arthur MacArthur, who uh, was a Civil War general, a very famous one. Too. Who in the fuck names their child Arthur MacArthur? Oh, there's more Arthurs in this. There's the Douglas MacArthur Jr., Douglas MacArthur II, and Arthur MacArthur. Like, there's a lot. Yeah, of but Arthur. Douglas Arthur is fine. Arthur MacArthur's? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, what about John John Johnson? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you know. John John Johnson Jr. Let, let's just say he, he had a legacy to live upon. Just like Julius Caesar in a lot of ways. The same kind of upbringing, to be honest. Uh, so, you know, his this is an army family. You got to picture this. He, as a kid, he's moving barracks to barracks. He's already enthralled in that, like, military sense. Okay. And, uh, you know, like, here's a quote from him that I had in one of these old scripts I wrote from KNG. I learned to ride and shoot even before, even before I could write. Indeed, almost before I could walk and talk, which is so MacArthur. So, he's a military brat son of, like I said, Arthur MacArthur Jr. Because, yeah, of course, there was an Arthur MacArthur Sr. And uh, he had an impressive military career. He fought in the Union Army during the American Civil War. And he also became the Governor General of the Philippines. So that's MacArthur's father, just for coherency's sake. And uh, basically, those traits are going to set the stage for MacArthur. Uh, he has an extensive career. He, is a, he deals with the Philippine-American War. The Mexican Revolution. He fights at World War One, where he becomes a bit of a war hero. Uh, he meets Patton, by the way. I believe in World War One. I. I think that's yeah. the only time they met. Yeah. And then uh, he'll famously be a, a general in World War Two, and then infamously in the Korean War, where things took a very sour note for him. Uh, for Justin to understand why we would say that, when pressed by the current president as to how to win the war, he basically and just asked for 15 who, nuclear who's weapons. The, who's the current president at the time? Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And yeah. like, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Well, no, Commander. it's true. During the Korean War? Was no, but when he asked for the nukes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it was true when, when he was asking for the nukes. But, like, he notoriously never got along with the... Uh, oh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Yeah, yeah, Eisenhower. Like, Eisenhower being, you know, from the European campaign, like, they 
they never not... meshed yeah 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 no eisenhower had a lot of colorful quotes about macarthur there's <laughs> a lot of good ones and uh so during macarthur's upbringing um you know the term like have you ever heard of a helicopter mom uh yes i have so you kind of have an idea in your head what that means yeah so macarthur's mom basically she followed him everywhere he went and she just beat down on doors to make sure that he got everything he needed so like she would use the... I, i'm sorry oh <laughs> was, hello mr president my son needs uh, oh, i was gonna make a I... bad joke but, but it could be true maybe i don't know steps on i got stuck in the helicopter again <laughs> oh, i'm sorry I was, gonna, I was gonna make a different dirty joke but you know what go yeah. for it i was gonna say yeah Maybe she slept with officials to get in positions. But uh, she did something. She used the dad's name and, like, the family legacy. And she just hounded everybody for his education, for his military post. That he needed to get top rank. He needed to be the best of the best, blah, blah, blah. She opened all the doors. So he, he was pushed by this strong mom figure. So he was basically Forrest Gump. Yeah, but, kind of. Yeah, I guess. You could, that's a weird comparison, but yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, hey, your mama sure does care about your schooling, son. So, you gotta imagine this guy from a very young age, he's going literally from glory to glory. That sounded oddly sexual. And uh, so he, he starts as a superintendent at West Point. That's prestigious military. I yeah. West Point, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he eventually becomes major general in the Philippines. And uh, everywhere he goes, he brings his mom. And it, it is creepy. I've made... I, I was... Something ain't right there. His mom is everywhere, every lodging, everything. Is his dad dead at this point, or...? Yeah, his dad... Oh, fuck. His dad died in... Because his dad became the governor general of the Philippines. Somewhat, at some point before the 30s, his dad must have died. Yeah, because I'm but saying, if he's dragging his mom around and his no, dad's still kinda, alive, that's like It kind of does make sense, because like, uh, he comes from a big military family, and in this sense, so does his, so does his mom. She's used to that uh, yeah. that status and that uh, uh, environment. No, being that wife, I get, but if his dad's still around and he's staying general. home mom goes with the son, that's a little weird. Well, not she's probably not going to the fucking meetings with, uh, with him be. and, you know, like sitting in like... Honey, she might be. Honey, listen to the nice man. <laughs> so uh, he eventually finds his way over to the Philippines. I mean, his dad was governor general, so he's already got an in with the uh, the president at the time, Emmanuel Quezon, and basically he's he's given like white uh, a free hand in anything in the Philippines. the The president loves him. He's got a future ahead of him. But like in 1937, he's retiring from the United States Army. He he's pretty old by this point. Yeah, I was gonna say he's almost sixty. Uh. Fifty-seven. They they take it. They take his ass out of retirement for World War Two, and I I guess he's like sixty something. He's pretty old. Again, nineteen forty. He's sixty. Yeah. So, so you got to imagine it's nineteen thirty-seven. The war is kicking off for for China and Japan at least. But in the meantime, as a retired guy, he's in a civilian capacity building the Philippine army on for the Philippine people, okay. like for the Filipinos, because this is complicated. There there is a United States Army presence within the Philippines. But instead of dealing with that, although he is, he's building this independent army. Now, yeah, but it's almost acting as a, not a colony, but... A, yeah, it's a protector. A proxy. Yeah. yeah. Like a Puerto Rico type of thing. Well, that was, um, yeah. that was a territory, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is an official territory with the Philippines. Like, they just didn't want to call it a colony because yeah. it went against their constitution, it's, it's, basically. But it's like a proxy. 
it's yeah, a proxy it's, colony. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was America was an empire. They just don't want to admit it. Now, yeah. well, they took Philippines from the Spanish, and yeah, they held, They were supposed to move on after that, but they they stayed. They certainly did. Now, uh, between when he was young till then, there was a lot of things that happened in his life. Like he has a interesting career, and uh, a lot of people would diagnose him with you know being a narcissist. But I mean, like clinically, like we're not just saying like you know how we all would say. Oh, uh, again, I keep making Trump like the guy we're talking about. Trump is a narcissist, but I mean clinically, like he he literally was like a psychologist. If he could actually go into a room, would have grabbed him and said that. Tony so, Stark. Yeah, sure. Uh, but he was incapable of ever accepting responsibility for any mistakes he ever did. And I mean to a ridiculous degree. Like, it's kind of, like, comedic. It, it was always somebody else's fault. Yeah. Yeah, he was let down by everyone else. It, yeah. And uh, he's completely and utterly obsessed with his public image. He will literally have what you would call, you know... As, as someone who's a high-ranking official in the military, you have officers, you have a chief of staff and all these officers that are responsible for logistics, for this, for this, for this. He had, like, an entourage that was just there for public relations. And there's basically no one else in the United States in, military. In, 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 in the 1930s and 40s, yeah. In the, it's going to start in the 40s, but it's going to go on for the rest. Allies, right? allies visiting, like... Uh, so military man slash movie star slash exactly yeah. that's a great way they, to look at it. They they notoriously said meetings with MacArthur were a nightmare because not only like okay <laughs> yeah. everything is time sensitive like of course going on yeah, yeah. In the war, general, yeah but he would postpone things. He's like, no, we got to finish this picture and like yeah. taking pictures with him like were sometimes uh, two three hour long affairs just to get one picture because it had to be absolutely perfect. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And like. Meanwhile, like you have like uh, Dutch admirals or English admirals, there's like, hey, we're here to talk about Amba. Say that right, Anbu. What? Australia, uh, New Zealand, Britain, and yeah, Anbu. Because I said. Oh, you mean Abdicom? You mean when they were the Unified Front? Yeah. Or it's Abdicom. So A B D A. Com. What's Anbu? You sure it's not Anbu? I don't. I don't know. I've never heard Anbu. <laughs> Bring up the Google. Anyways, I'll, I'll go, Anbu being like Australia, New Zealand, uh, Britain, Dutch, United States. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, actually, yeah, forgetting about the Dutch, but it was like that little uh, coalition of uh, their available navies uh, in yeah. the area at the time, and meeting together is like you know to organize uh, defenses and whatnot. You know, Japan's running wild, and <laughs> MacArthur like would have them waiting two, three hours yeah. at a time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I got to take this photo first. Sorry, guys. And, and, it's and, very it's, critical. and it's not just, you know, like take a photo and move on and, you know, get to business. Like, no, it's like yeah. and holding it, everything up and, just to get a photo. Okay. And it's the first six, first six months of, of the war was yeah. the most critical. The Japanese yeah. were unrelenting. There was an action every single day going on across multiple different places in the South Pacific. Yeah. It, was, it was insane. And in MacArthur's mind, it's like, oh, no, we need to have the best public image because like when people at home see this, you know, like that's going to raise uh, the morale in that scene, yeah. you know, they're. So we're talking as vain as can possibly oh, yeah, be. Yeah. Uh, actually, I got a quote here from Dwight D. Mr. Eisenhower himself, uh, when he had become president about MacArthur. He said about MacArthur, he had an obsession as a high commander that he must protect his image at all costs and must never admit his wrongs, which kind of embodies MacArthur. He was grandiose, self-glorifying. Uh, he attributed much of the United States Army's success to just himself all the time in his speeches. 
And uh, he would emphasize, you know, the many awards he received throughout his career. And there was a lot of discussions about the Medal of Honor stuff, anyways. But um, other things that people might want to know about this kind of kooky character, he would often sit at his desk wearing a Japanese kimono, smoking cigarettes out of a jeweled holder, and speaking about himself classically in the third person. And he apparently had a 15-foot-high mirror behind his office chair. And I have yet to find a picture of this. I've looked very hard because there's uh, places in the world where you can actually go to rooms where he had used to work. Like, you know, HQs. I think there's a place in Japan where, you know, when he was in the transition period. But there's this this story about the mirror. I've never actually seen the giant mirror in any of these rooms. Just saying. Mirror, okay, mirror. So on, mirror, mirror on the wall. Well, Who's let me see if I can General zero in on this a little bit. Tony Stark, Iron Man 2. I have successfully privatized world peace. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Like, pretty go much. fuck yourselves. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. I All mean, right. I, I actually think he would refer to himself as being the emperor of Japan after, like, 45. That, it, the irony of that is people did, like, uh, reflect on that when the movie Emperor came out. Yeah. It's like, was it about Emperor Hirohito? Because the whole movie is centered around, uh, was the emperor responsible? Like, should he be held accountable and, you know, uh, put to death basically yeah and other people said like it could be um loosely based on emperor macarthur as yeah because yeah, it, i mean the, the truth of it and it's awkward for for americans i mean this this is more common knowledge of course today with literature and that but the constitution that was written for japan after the war was literally the americans just writing it themselves and yeah, it was well, a that hidden... was one of the unfavorable, like, ridiculous ones well, that we talked about. The unfavorable treaties, uh, that's 19th century kind of stuff. But, but yeah, this is one of those in a lot of ways. But the United States hid this fact from the public for, I have no idea, like 50 years or something. So basically, the United States wrote the Constitution of Japan. That currently is but, in use. You know, yeah. to be fair, they did write a pretty good one. Like, Japan has remained one of the closest allies to the United States. They have great trade relations. Anyways, and just cool. immediately post war, it became one of the pro- most prosperous nations. Like post World War Two nations, yeah. immediately became one of the most pos- uh, prosperous. Yeah. Well, uh, you didn't see that kind of uh, um, like level of growth from European nations until like the 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, I mean it's 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 apples and oranges, right? Because you're looking at Germany and. The rebuilding of Germany cost a little bit more, I'd say, than even Japan. And uh, it was tricky because at least Japan didn't have a literal... Well, they did have a border with the Soviet Union, but it wasn't the same kind yeah, of situation. It, it, yeah. Uh, so MacArthur, you know, he he's involved for so long in the military. He's seen different presidents. He's seen different war plans develop. And I don't want to get into the history of this, but... Basically, beginning in... This is Teddy Roosevelt's days. They used to have these war plans. There were secret plans for if something were to break out, how the United States would act. Yeah. yeah. And famously, there was like the uh, War Plan Orange, or I think it's called the War Dog Plan, once upon a time. What if Japan and the United States found themselves at war? How would this relate to the Philippines? Mm-hmm. So ever since, we're talking 1904, even goes before 1904, They've kind of had this plan of how they're going to go about defending the Philippines or how the Philippines is going to be incorporated in the general war plan. MacArthur has been in the military and involved with this this entire time. So he's seen the evolution of it and he's going to fuck this up horrendously and for his own kind of reasons. So there's a plan. It's called War Plan Orange. 
And to summarize it, it dictates that the primary mission of the Philippine garrison, so the American units and their Filipino allies in the Philippines, yeah. is to just hold on to the entrance of Manila Bay to deny its use to Japan. So I know we don't have the map here, but if you're looking at the Philippines, which is a cluster of a lot of islands, yeah. the big island in the middle is a very important harbor. And it's kind of sheltered. Uh, I'm making hand gestures now. But uh, it's the crux of the defenses of the, basically the area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's in central Luzon. So, but, I'm, but I'm guessing this would also be a very important just Navy outpost if they could take it over. Most important American Navy outpost in the Pacific other than Hawaii. But it's the most forward one and it's quite large. Yeah. So, okay. So protect that at all costs. So basically, if the Philippines are to be invaded, this war plan, War Plan Orange, says that the initial protective force is going to have the main task of preventing enemy landings. But if this does not prove successful, which in most cases you will not be able to stop people from landing, that's just a given, they're going to engage in delaying actions and withdrawing to the Bataan Peninsula. Now, again, to visualize, there's a peninsula that is right beside this bay, middle of bay. Okay. And it's a bottleneck, kind of like Thermopylae. Think of the okay. Battle of Thermopylae. Yeah. You get all your guys into this, like, little shoehorn area, and the enemy can only come from the north against you. Yep. And you're very Unless close they know to where the goat path is. <laughs> there's no, well, yeah, actually, there is a goat path in this circumstance. It's going over a volcano, though. But uh, it, that does happen. But basically... Everybody in the United States military, everyone involved in this knows this war plan. It's going to be around for 40 years. There's, it's very, there's little variations and changes to it, but MacArthur has been there every step of the way. He knows he probably knows it by thumb, but he, he does hate this war plan. I'll mention that. He hates it off the bat. Oh, he, finds he it, goes and does something else, doesn't he? He finds it very defeatist. It is defeatist. The whole purpose of the Philippines is basically to hold the Japanese down as long as you can just to be a nuisance. Yep. And if By time. exactly, if possible, the United States theoretically, depending on the situation, maybe in six months to a year, their navy will be strong enough to make a bull rush over to the Philippines to save them. Best guess. Best guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, if you can't hold it indefinitely from the Japanese, then no. they shouldn't be able to hold it indefinitely from the U.S. Well, so exactly. this is at a time where um, uh, racism towards the uh, the Japanese would. It, it was running rampant. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, West, that wasn't a West, thing. Western powers did not, not believe the that the Japanese were capable of uh, uh, much, if not anything. Um, like, look at the, the British arrogance. Uh, yeah. the, the, the thought of Singapore falling. Unbelievable. Know, uh, it was, you know, it was uh, uh, reminiscent of, you know, the Titanic. Not even God or, uh, himself could think it. Like, this yeah. is the same kind of arrogance. And Western powers, the United States... Uh, uh, in particular at this point, never imagined that the Japanese were capable of taking the Philippines. No, not, not not to mention, like, just putting up a good fight at all. Like, yeah. uh, they used to make remarks, okay, outnumbered 10 to 1. Like, they would still, like, uh, it would be like shooting fish in a barrel. Like, these, mm -hmm. these Japanese don't know how to fight. We're, they're no threat to us. Yeah. So we went from, at some point, the Japanese being superhuman soldiers with powers. That's after, yeah. To... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same people who make these racial remarks against the Japanese come up with this propaganda, I guess you can call it propaganda, it's fear-mongering amongst the American people that the Japanese are superhuman jungle night fighters, which ironically plays into the fact the Japanese trained extensively for night fighting, a little bit in jungle fighting, although there wasn't good places for them to actually train in jungle yeah, they still lost to the crocodiles. 
But no, we're not getting now, that. Now, now let me use my my mystical powers of Miss Cleo future seeing. Let me guess. The U.S. Well, lost by, the by fucking Philippines, logic, okay, didn't but they? But the Australians yeah. lost to the Emus, so <laughs> that's true. So, but if it's uh, Australia, so U.S. actually lost the Philippines, didn't they? Because MacArthur did something stupid. Well, the thing is, the Philippines was going to be lost. That's like the issue on the table. It could not have been defended. Like, it was, was just no by time. Like, you but said. the way this is the thing. The war plan calls for all of these men to put up, perhaps they can, a little bit of a defense to stop landings, but it's very obvious that can't happen. Thus, they are supposed to run to this place called uh, Bataan. And when you're a military, in order to fight, you need supplies. So all of the supplies need to be brought to where you will be fighting, Bataan. MacArthur does not do this. And this is the crux of the problem. Oh, no. So they estimated they would get about 43,000 of their guys in the Bataan, and they would have supplies for about six months. So think of it like, kind of like a siege. It's going to be a six-month siege. It's anyways. a delay in the action. Yeah. yeah. And now, just before World War II breaks out for the United States, China's been in it for years, War Plan Orange is superseded by another plan, part of the Rainbow Plan. So this is Rainbow Plan 5. It's complicated, don't need to know too much about it. It just changes things a little bit. This came about because Japan had joined the, uh, the Pact of Steel with Nazi Germany, so they were kind of changing things around. So basically, it was decided that the United States would put up a defensive stance against Japan, but the focus would be on the central power, so Germany and Italy. So you're going to defeat Germany first. That's the classic way that yeah, we say the, the Europe first. Yeah, Europe first. And uh, by this point in time, War Plan Orange is in its third variation, but it's still the plan. But got to say, in the opening days, um, it wasn't Europe first. It was literally, it was only Pacific. Oh, the they're, opening they're, day for America, like, only Pacific. For the first week, like, World War II for the United States, uh, they were only at war with Japan. And then yeah. Hitler, uh, just randomly. Big fumble, okay, declare, yeah, it was going to happen. It was going to happen, but he, he could have played stalled, it better. Yeah, if he stalled it, not declare war on the states, the states would yeah. have been entirely invested in the Pacific. You know what it is? I always, I always question, like, people always ask, why would he do that? I think he was so into the U-boat warfare because it was doing phenomenally against the British, that he was like, we need to hit the Americans quickly and as fast as possible, the U-boats, to get their commercial, you know, to commercial really raid them. I guess he figured he would put such a dent and, into them. And also backroom deals between Japan and yeah, Germany. Like, okay, like, the world has just seen half of the American fleet just crippled. Like, the majority of the uh, main, like, surface, uh, like, powerful main surface vessels yeah. of the Pacific fleet were just like incapacity not all of them destroyed but a lot of them out of service for a while well from the and, japanese point of view they probably from thought germany's so. point of view it's like okay so now the the eastern the atlantic navy they have to send to the pacific to, to reinforce their yeah yeah this is our time to strike you know like like let's not give them six months to build up and then declare war because yeah, well, they're we're... just going to be sending the material to england in the meantime anyways now we have uh the opportunity Sink, uh, you know, send the U-boats out there, sink uh, the convoys. Yeah, because, I mean, we're all thinking about this in retrospect. We have, yeah. you know, the privilege of knowing what happens. Hindsight is yeah, Exactly. Like, from their viewpoint, it was completely different. Yeah, they planned a haymaker, it missed. Yeah. Oh, shit. But, uh, but so, a lot of Americans at that time never thought, like, uh, an attack on Pearl Harbor was possible. Everyone thought it was going it was going to be the Philippines first. Everyone. Or Panama Canal. A lot of people forget there. There was a book written in the uh, 1910, 
1910 or sometime around that. It's yeah, called you, the, you could cripple uh, if you Panama had Canal. They thought the Japanese would uh, put like a suicidal effort into bombarding Panama Canal to close it off to cripple the United States from their navies being able to coordinate anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, that would have been pretty terrifying. There was always a, a worry that some kind of like midget submarine attack would happen in Panama Canal, but it never. There was plans, it never happened. Fun fun fact: the original uh, Panama Canal, and then even during World War II. The specifications for uh, the Panama Canal, it was wide enough for American. Uh, uh, it was the, it was for the battleships. I guess I'm, I'm not that, sure. That that the specifications were like they had to be wide enough for the American, for battleships. The American battleships. It they didn't even take into account you know their uh, um, I guess you know merchant marine or that it was all for the facilitating the um, interroute route tra- well the inner like. How would you say like okay two coast intercoast intercoastal it's intercoastal intercoastal uh, Tra- yeah, yeah. uh, travel interocean uh, <laughs> yes yeah yeah anyways I, I forgot where I was going with that okay anyways yeah it was just like a fun fact uh back to the Philippines uh so MacArthur he he's seen variations of War Plan Orange and he's always kind of hated it he thinks it's too defeatist uh, it's too defensive and he he he's an aggressive general he has his rationale as to why he wants this, but he wants to at least attempt thwarting an enemy occupation of the Philippines. Remember, he's best friends with the president. The president is paying him money. The president is paying him to train his army. So MacArthur is a so very... The president's going to back whatever the hell MacArthur decides. There's a lot of variables at play as to why MacArthur makes dumb choices. Are they just out of stupidity? Or is there something else going on? That's kind of what I'm getting at. So there's a lot to be played here. Okay. So uh, MacArthur, it looks like there's going to be a war going on. This is just before Pearl Harbor. He gets recalled back into the military because he just happens to be the guy in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. He's in charge of the Philippines. So he's there to try and, you know, get some intermingling with the American army and the Filipinos to try and, you know, uh, strengthen things. Now, another very famous person, General uh, Henry Arnold... He proposes reinforcing the Philippine army with aircraft. So he wants heavy bombers. He was a um, commander of the U.S. Army Air Force, right? Yeah, Hap Arnold. So uh, he wants a bunch of you know B-17s to be in the Philippines. Actually, a large number of them, by the way. So he wants about 35 of them, and he wants uh, some Tomahawk fighter escorts and stuff. Now, moving such resources to the Philippines is pretty controversial at this time because it's not, I guess you would say... Uh, a priority given Nazi okay. Germany is and at this point in July 1941 yeah. it is a Europe first strategy yes and the United States is not in the war by the way yet but I mean like Nazi Germany has taken over France it's kind of a priority it's it's more on their radar but uh, MacArthur is he's working to persuade the uh, US military to change the war plan a bit and he's like making all these speeches you know he's doing his little powerpoints and all that kind of crap and he's kind of come up with like bullshit well, he's lying. To, I'm just gonna say he's lying to the United at States. At this point, he tried to steal the navy. Uh, he tried to steal the navy from underneath the navy. Mm-hmm. Like he, he I, I wouldn't say beg. He demanded that Nimitz's forces be, and he's commander in chief of the well, U.S. The navy in the Pacific. Yeah. He demanded that all navy vessels fall under his command. Yes, yes, yes. He the, did this famously because yeah. he's South Pacific commander in chief of uh, U.S. armed yeah. forces, not just. 
army forces or navy forces. He's the yeah. armed forces, and you know. Yeah. Right. But th- this is before even the war. This is before Nimitz is commander in chief, by the way. But um, he tells Washington that he will c- confidently. Oh, I figured. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking like forty-two in my. Ah, sorry. Okay. So he, yeah. he, he's he's doing a presentation. He's trying to like change the plans for the war plan orange. And he tells Washington, I'm going to have an army of 200,000 Filipinos ready to f- face the Japanese if they decide to invade. This is 100% bullshit. He has the men potentially, not the time, not the training, not the equipment. And the timetable he's giving them, it's maybe if he was given another year, he could have trained that amount. Basically a straight bluff. Oh, it's a paper tiger, as we say. It's a whole paper tiger situation. And then, because of Hap Arnold saying he wants these B-17s over, MacArthur gets the clever idea of going, you know what, give me these B-17s on this island, and I will preemptively attack Japan to neutralize their ass before they can even get their aircraft to hit us. Okay? I know. No, no. Knowing what happens, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Ian knows where this is going, but just for Justin... I have no idea where this is going, but I have a feeling... And it's not a good one. But basically, what you have to understand is, on paper, it's a great plan. Because these heavy bombers, which are some of the best in the world right now, yeah. they could neutralize uh, what we call uh, Taiwan today. It's, it's Formosa back then. So the Japanese have an air force. Their heavy bombers are on this island. It's the closest one to the Philippines. And technically, if your bombers get over there first, you win. So if he has these bombers and he hits this place before the Japanese hit him... He basically knocks out their air power. You're, you're probably going to save yourself a lot of time. Man. They're like aircraft carriers. They're, well, first you know, of all, they're if he great, gets there first, great swords, but terrible shields. If not, Whoever then strikes he's just poke the bear when he has a military force that's not ready to go and is way smaller than he's claiming. Yeah. Uh, now, th- this all, of course, does not mesh with the current war plan orange. But Washington is sympathetic to some of the things that he's saying they don't and this is important they do not change the war plan at all what they tell him is basically he can do some limited things that he's saying but not to a cost the current war plan that's what's important so whatever he does he needs to fall back on this war plan properly and this is what's going to come up in the future that's what he's going to really fuck up so you know things happen like pearl harbor <laughs> And uh, Washington, you know, they were inspired by everything that he had said and they had like delivered. And because Japan was looking like it was threatening. So prior to Pearl Harbor, they're going to boost up the Philippines because they want to have at least some forces there. Mm-hmm. MacArthur's going to have like 30,000 United States forces. He's got 130,000 Filipinos, but they're basically green, undertrained guys. They're not ready. Ill-equipped. I mean, legendarily, they're given rifles that don't work. And there's all sorts of crap going on with that. He's got um, a formidable force of B-17s. He doesn't have all the ones that he was supposed to get because tragically, Japan, when they attack, it's during uh, the transport of these B-17s. So he's missing a lot of them, which sucks for him. And coinciding uh, with the raid on Pearl Harbor, yes, they, I mean, the Japanese Blitzkrieg, it, they hit everywhere at once. Oh yeah, it's a supernova in the east. I, I, I don't sense. want to spoil it for Justin. But, but silly I, I question, actually. At. Is Pearl Harbor one of the reasons why MacArthur didn't get as much of the resources he was supposed to get? Because they kept more on the mainland to expect to get well, I mean, another attack? Well, I mean, Pearl Harbor is kind of like a, 
a big stop to anything getting to the Philippines because there's no way to get things to the Philippines after Pearl Harbor. Unless it's but by submarine, mind you. The Philippines gets hit at the same time as Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Along it's simultaneous. With, uh, oh, okay. A lot of British airfields and basically the Japanese were very intelligent about it. When they did their, you know, their sneaky strike, they yeah. hit everyone at once and they yeah. hit everyone's most, you know, um, critical they aim like, for the vital organs yeah, yeah. Oh, airfields yeah. airfields are yeah, the first that thing was get. the thing that they yeah. went yeah. like they okay. went for everyone's airfields yeah. and so when you got the u.s stacking the philippines with these b-17s and this is where oh, but that, the, the, that was just my thought because yeah. like if you're you know defending the motherland but you figure okay u.s soil is never gonna be hit so we can send all this shit to philippines or whatever to help it and all of a sudden, Pearl Harbor gets hit, and you go, "Ooh, we might need okay. to defend." I mean, I don't want to get into it, but place. politically, if you were to put a bunch of units in an island really close to Japan, it threatens Japan, so they have to do it discreetly too. So there's an element of that to it, but okay. but they're kind of yeah. like the missile crisis. It's like yeah, it's Russia, exactly like that. Yeah. Russia putting their well, the Soviet Union putting their uh, their nukes in Cuba, but. I mean, the states that put their nukes in Turkey, which was closer to Moscow than Cuba is the DC. Yeah. So, um, Pearl Harbor is now going to happen. Uh, it's a side note. As far as uh, naval assets are concerned, there's like a submarine fleet beside the Philippines and a few other surface vessels, but it's not really significant. I yeah. mean, MacArthur's going to tell people that he has all confidence that the submarines will take out anything that the Japanese throw at them. Sure. Doesn't, does not work out that way though. So, you have, uh, again, to go back, because it's going to be like kind of like anal with this. Warplan Orange 3 is not fight them at the beaches and hope, you know, you never stop them. It's not to Tuck the and run. Tuck and run right away. MacArthur's plan, fight them at the beaches and thwart any possible, like, invasion. Like, just to win the battle, It's basically. Now, he, in order to have men at these areas in the beaches, the supplies need to be there, too. Because mm -hmm. that's where they're fighting. Yep. The supplies still, if they're not already in Bataan, need to be on transportable. Yep. They're not going to be transportable because the Philippines is a bunch of islands, and he's actually placed units even on places that aren't the main island to defend all these other little islands for basically just, to, ple just to please the president of the Philippines, basically. So he wasn't supposed to have many units outside of Luzon. Luzon is the main island. And on top of that, on Luzon, he's basically put a bunch of his units at the forefront near the beaches. It's hilariously not what he's supposed okay, so to do. So he spread himself in between all the little islands instead Very of protecting yeah. the main one. Exactly. Oh, boy. Okay. And uh, he's under the belief the Japanese are not going to attack when they do because of um, harvest time and weather conditions and stuff. And there, there's some merit to that belief, but shit, it didn't work out. So uh -oh. in late November... There's a lot of warning signs that the Japanese are going to do something. Uh, MacArthur is warned by General Marshall, you know, be on your toes. It seems like there's going to be hostilities that are going to yeah, break late, out. Late November, the Japanese uh, uh, carrier fleet disappeared. Nobody knew where it yeah. was. And uh, they initiate Rainbow Plan 5. Don't need to really know about this, but basically it just puts into... It, it puts him on war alert. So he's supposed to be on full war alert at this point. Uh, a, a good uh, comparison would be like... If we were watching like um, the Soviet Union and we see all their nuclear missile submarines are in harbor, and you know we see them, and then the next day they're all gone, yeah, and no idea where they are. 
That's that's what's going on in the world at this point when the uh, Japanese carrier fleet disappears. Yeah, so this is DEFCON yeah, 5. Yeah. Something's probably coming. We, they, we didn't know. Like, in hindsight, we know they're on their way to strike yeah. Pearl Harbor. Well, you don't know but they're the coming for you, but you know they're going yeah. somewhere, which... That's, yeah. This is when you're like, okay, something's up. This yeah. is a major operation. So now, uh, for people who've, who've seen the episode uh, on the YouTube channel for Kings and Generals or the associated podcasts, I, I wrote both and I narrated the podcast, uh, we're coming to the fine points of what happens. What are MacArthur's big fuck-ups? for lack of better words. Once Pearl Harbor has occurred, actually just before it's occurred, uh, Thailand is being invaded first, technically. Uh, Marshall tells MacArthur, initiate Rainbow Plan 5. Now, MacArthur had, like I said, squabbled about, hey, I'm going to have these bombers, and then I'll go and I'll hit Formosa, and I'll knock out their ability to hit us. This all politically has to be done after Japan has hit America first. So there's kind of this agreement, I guess you would say, Japan has to do the first blow, and then this will be initiated. Uh, Pearl Harbor would seem to be a pretty good indicator of a first blow. Yep. Okay. So within minutes, Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, and MacArthur receives the report that Pearl Harbor's been attacked. He's informed at 3 a.m., uh, his commander of the Air Forces, Brereton, gets this news like an hour after him. And Brereton, th- this is famous. He starts trying to get into the office of MacArthur to say, hey, we need to go and hit the Japanese before they hit us. Yeah. We are at war. Can't talk to him. He's locked up. He's locked in his room. And uh, his chief of staff, a guy called Richard Sutherland, who's a, a little bitch in my opinion, uh, he stops anybody <laughs> from talking to, Mac- to MacArthur. To MacArthur. To MacArthur. Yeah, MacArthur's actually a good name for him, though. So, Brereton's going to do this thing where he just continuously keeps coming back, and he's freaking out. He's like, I'm in control of the Air Forces here. He has, like, planes circling on the airfields, and he's like, what the hell is going on? I need to speak to MacArthur. He asks, can you send a message to MacArthur? Since he's so busy, can I bomb Formosa? That is their mission. MacArthur had actually, this was his plan in the first place. Even just having your bombers in the air at the time. So Brereton asks, and Sutherland just responds, No, you uh you can't bomb Formosa, you need to do a photo recon first. Very questionable, okay? So he demands, he's like, no, you have to do this photo reconnaissance, blah blah blah. So Brereton is gonna prepare a pilot to go do this. Uh by 5 30 a.m. MacArthur receives another cable warning from Washington instructing him again initiate war plan five or rainbow five. And he seemingly does nothing. If you read a lot of older books about the Pacific War, they actually don't have an explanation for what's going on. There's a lot more new information as to what's going on, but I'm just going to keep going through the motions of the time span. So you have to, every minute counts, right? That was at 5.30, 6.15, MacArthur's informed by Admiral Hart. So this is the Admiral in the Philippines. So he's the Navy guy with them. And he says, the Japanese have literally bombed like a seaplane tender in the Philippines. So the Japanese have technically attacked people in the Philippines. Well, the United States Navy, for that matter. Which also means they're here. Yeah. Wake up. At 7.15. This is an hour after that. Brereton asks permission again to bomb Formosa. And Sutherland responds, quote, MacArthur said, no, we must not make the first overact. Your role is defensive for the time being. You look confused, as anybody would be. Because... It was his own fucking plan. It's his own plan, but they have been attacked. 
not only has Pearl Harbor been attacked, every the Philippines at this at this what state, does he need a Japanese is, general to come punch him directly? Everyone in the is face? still in a state of shock, but when like you need your highest uh, commanders to be able to look above yeah. that, to be above the shock, to just because that's why they're in that position to be able to react in okay. those stressful times. So. And so, he's not reacting. He, he this is for most of the textbooks of the older mm-hmm. ones, not the new ones. Like uh, Ian Toll, for example, his new mm-hmm. trilogy. He he does a, a decent job explaining this. Eight o'clock, General uh, Arnold he calls Brereton from Washington. So he's talking to Brereton, not even MacArthur, warning him: Do not let your planes be on the ground right now. Get them up in the air. That's what I'm saying. Like even if you're not going anywhere, yeah. get them up in the air. Yeah. So and Brereton has been kind of doing that. So he's ordering aircraft to circle the airfields, which is unfortunate for no other reasons, by 8.30 a.m. At 9.25 a.m., Brereton, he's informed that the Japanese bombers are attacking an airfield kind of up in the north. It's not, a, it's not the big airfield in the Philippines, but it's another smaller one. Uh, he telephones Sutherland. He asks permission again to bomb Formosa. Sutherland refuses. 9.40 a.m. This started at 2 a.m., by the way. The attack of Pearl Harbor. Yeah, this is point. six, seven hours yeah. later. Brereton receives instructions to do the photo reconnaissance over Formosa. This is apparently from MacArthur. This is just the photo reconnaissance. Yeah. And uh, if they see that it looks like the Japanese are preparing to hit them, that's kind of ironic to say, They're yeah. They're already in the air. <laughs> then uh, he's approved to bomb them in the afternoon. At 10, 14 a.m., MacArthur finally approves a bombing attack on Formosa. At 10.30, aircraft begin landing to refuel because they've been circling this airfield. 10.45, they are ordered to, you know, bomb uh, Formosa. Uh, scheduled for 2 p.m. if they were to make it by this point. And at 12.35, the Japanese completely destroy every goddamn aircraft almost. Mm-hmm. It is... They were already there. Kind of like a Pearl Harbor for the Philippines. All grounded. Base, I think two fighters get up to even fight it. It is a absolute tragedy. It's at Clark Field Air Base, and uh, it's called the Clark Field uh, Disaster. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, the situation looks like we have a commander, MacArthur. He just doesn't seem to be doing anything. Mm-hmm. Why? There is a reason. Again, the president of the Philippines is a personal best friend to his father and to him. This is alleged information. I'll say that with quotes. I'm not going to say this is fact. But it seems that the president was basically twisting his arm to not do anything. Because the president had been invited to some propaganda campaigns in Japan where they said how great it'll be for the Philippines to join the common sphere, the co-prosperity sphere. So the Japanese ensured the president that they were not going to invade the Philippines. They were going to liberate them. From the dastardly Americans. So this poor president who probably believed this. All alleged information. I'm not saying it's 100% factual. He was led to believe. Maybe the Japanese would attack the Americans. But they wouldn't invade the Philippines. So MacArthur. Who was working as the general. As a general. Well that's my email for my other work. (laughs) He's working as a general for the United States Army. He's also kind of the general of the Filipino Army. So there's conflict of interest there. So he was basically under the belief that he could not risk the Philippines being invaded by doing a preemptive strike, even though he was under orders to do so by his own plans too. Okay, but let's be 
let me play devil's advocate to that argument, and maybe you have something about this later on, but... Okay, so Japan goes to the president of the Philippines and basically says, we're going to kick the Americans out, and we're going to take care of you, and it's going to be so much better, and whatever, yeah. whatever. Here's a big piece of candy, you want it. Mm -hmm. But General MacArthur is the Americans, so why would he sit there and do nothing on a plan that basically guarantees his own demise... He probably just was... Just to try and help the country of a friend against the sworn enemy of the United States? That doesn't seem to hold a lot of ground. There is another story. Um, the day before the Japanese attack, MacArthur had an extravagant party where he probably got drunk with everybody, uh, all the high-ranking officials, including Brereton and the, uh, the pilots. They were all pretty hungover uh, at his, uh, his house. Uh, people have said perhaps he was too hungover to make decisions, but... We're talking about a span of almost ten hours. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It. It seems that I don't care how hungover you are. When war starts, yeah. you kind of sharpen up a little bit. And there, there were investigations by historians after, and you know they're looking into this. He has a forty-year relationship with the president Kazan, like I said. And uh, here, just to give more concrete information, Kazon was in Tokyo in 1938, and that's where the Japanese officials told him Japan has no aggressive intentions towards the Philippines, and they only want trade, blah, blah, blah. They want no checks. Greater co-prosperity sphere is pure bullshit. And uh, Kazon, on Kazon's part, he wants to avoid thousands of Filipino deaths because he does not want his country invaded. Obviously, from Fair his point. I, I understand him. it from his point yeah. of view. I don't understand that argument from MacArthur's point of view. So this is the thing. MacArthur stressed this idea he would get these B-17s and then he would strike Formosa, which is a Japanese colony. Which he froze and never did. It's one of their most yeah. major airfields at this time. Like, actually, it remains one of the most yes. formidable airfields Airfield. for, for years to come. Like, the, the damage that comes out of that airfield. Is, so if, if you're Kazon, Pearl Harbor's been attacked, Malaya, Thailand's been attacked. They're going to be attacked in a few hours. But from his knowledge, they haven't been. If the United States launches bombers from the Philippines, his country, and they attack Japanese it soil... It seems like a direct attack from the Philippines to Japan. You're inviting death. So it is more than likely Kazon had begged and begged and begged MacArthur and bribed him. I'm going to say that up front. There is money transactions that will be involved, and that is factual. Uh, begged him not to preemptively strike. And that's all fine and dandy. You can argue, okay, they attacked... At this point, it's not a preemptive strike anymore. You can argue, okay, they attacked Pearl Harbor. They haven't attacked the Philippines yet. Unfortunately, that isn't a cold hard fact. They attacked a sea... They, they, I, I had mentioned, in one of the southern islands, it's actually called Mindanao, the Japanese were caught attacking some naval vessels that were American. So from that point, and MacArthur was given a report of this, You've been Open attacked season. in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, it's time to go. But he did not. To this day, no one can say for sure because it's not like MacArthur's going to write that down as to why he was locked up in that room for so long and his little butt boy, Sutherland, uh, held the guys at the door. But <laughs> really don't like this guy. I don't like Sutherland. Anyways. So the Japanese... Okay. Which is fair. We're going to fast forward a bit because this is going to be a long podcast. So now Japanese are going to invade the Philippines. It's going to be Lieutenant General Homa and uh, he's bringing the 14th Japanese Army. And they're going to be landing uh, first in the north, which is a small little island called uh, Batan, which is kind of funny. It's thought to be mistaken with Batan. And uh, they are going to launch an invasion of the northern coast of Luzon. 
uh, two days later. So that's going to be on December the 12th. Now, uh, I'm not going to talk about all the other islands. There, there, there's other small islands that began invaded and stuff, but that's kind of, for lack of better words, that doesn't mean anything. But basically, War Plan Orange 3, the current War Plan, should be implemented immediately. You are at war with Japan, and especially now that they're invading, you initiate it, you should be doing... You should be running for the safe spot, conquering sim- down yeah. and... A symbolic defense at the beach, cavalry, whatever you want, like a small little thing. But your men and your supplies need to get to Bataan. So you're doing delaying actions to get everyone to Bataan, and then you're hunkering down. We're going to call it like Bataan's like a castle that you're yeah. hunkering down in. He does not do this at this point. Instead, he initiates his, his plan, which was to fight at the beaches. So this is the first blunder, allowing the Air Force to get hit the way it did. This is his second big blunder in the Philippines. Now, uh, he's talking with the Admiral, Admiral Hart again, and he's like, what can you do? And Admiral Hart's like, I'll try and shoot this stuff, you know, the submarines. Uh, the United States doesn't know this, but basically their torpedoes are all duds. Oh. Yeah. yeah, they have a huge problem. Yeah, uh, 95% of torpedoes at the time don't yeah. work. So uh, they, they're not shooting down many boats, we'll, we'll say that much. Uh, Admiral Hart is given orders from the United States Navy just to get the, the F out of there. So all the surface ships are just, they're gone. They're going. Only the submarines stay, and I mean, the submarines aren't going to do, like, pretty so much So this ain't going well. Yeah. So um, after no results from the submarines, a little comedic quote, MacArthur to Admiral Hart, what in the world is the matter with your submarines? Like I said, they didn't realize that the Mark 14 torpedoes were just duds. Duds. They don't fix that till late 43. Yeah, it, it takes years. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's another story I can do as a podcast. That'd be a fun one. Yeah, why why the, the Navy have the best torpedoes in the world at the, this point? The United States Navy did not acknowledge that they had a problem with their torpedoes because they didn't want to admit failure, and it just led to a almost two solid years. Yeah, which it, terrible. it's a, it's yeah. a whole thing because uh, the War Department was aware that the torpedoes didn't work. Yeah, they were completely but, aware, but yeah. they refused to call yeah. like a recall on it. They wouldn't. They, they wouldn't space. let researchers uh, research it either. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just on top of everything, I like to nitpick. So MacArthur has this really stupid plan to send the men to the beaches. If you are going to stop an enemy from landing on your beaches, do you send your worst units or your best units? Your best, I guess. Because you're trying to make a stand, right? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't do that. So he doesn't send his crack troops. He actually sends kind of like... I'm not going to be mean, but kind of like the Greens, the Filipino guys who haven't, like, they don't have the training. And he just tells them, like, you're going to hold it at all cost. He retains his crack troops in the reserve. And he kind of establishes layers of defense. We call it defense in depth. Yeah. Which he's supposed to be doing doing just a delaying action. Again, this doesn't make sense. And, uh, yeah, they're crushed at the beaches. They actually don't put up much of a fight because they just can't. It's, uh, they don't even have proper artillery to deal with the enemy. And uh, homeless forces are rapidly advancing to the interior of the island. So Manila is the capital of the Philippines, of well, this big island. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to march onto the capital, as any army would do. The Japanese have knowledge of how the Americans will fight, and they understand what Bataan is, but you're going to take Manila first. It's going disastrously. I'm just going to fast forward a bit because I have a whole script in front of me that I wrote once upon a time about all the things go wrong, but we'd be here forever. And um, basically, weeks of fighting are happening. 
Warplan Orange 3 has not been officially implemented. So it's under his jurisdiction. So MacArthur is the general in charge. He is supposed to say, hey, Warplan Orange 3, we commence now. Yeah. Once he says that, the supplies, wherever they may be, because this idiot has placed them everywhere. They go to Batan. So on December the 24th, they've been fighting for quite a while at this point. He initiates it. And now the Japanese are kind of almost running rampant in the southern part of the Big Island and on the northern part. There are pockets of guys and large formations that are... It's almost impossible for them to get over there. Miraculously, they do. It's an, it's an incredible miracle. And it does goes to sh- it goes to show. The guys who defended the Philippines, Filipinos, Americans, were badasses. They were dealt the worst hand of cards. And they did make them pay for it. And it took a long time for the Japanese to win in the Bataan. Despite and MacArthur. The, the guerrillas that came out of the conflict yeah. are... Like, but that's kind of what I was going to say. If they, they waited they for Japanese to attack, and especially to control the harbor, yep. how the fuck would they even get those supplies from other islands into Bataan? Oh, the supplies on the other islands? Gone. Those are abandoned. The yeah. supplies on the main island, what they can grab, they got to grab, and they are grabbing, and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of civilians running on roads with them. Because the civilians are just going to run where the army guys are because they're afraid. You know, they're afraid. Yeah. It's a, it's a clusterfuck. Now, um, to simplify, MacArthur has obviously fallen back on the war plan far too late. Gesundheit. And uh, it's unrealistic for it to actually be implemented. So the whole point of this war plan is they had estimated how many people would be in Bataan, how much supplies would be there. It gives them a rough idea can fight a six-month war or siege if you want to call it that that's obviously not going to happen at this point they're not going to have that many supplies and they're going to have a shitload more people because they're going to have civilians and a bunch of people running in the Bataan at this point so he only stockpiles enough they're estimating to survive like a 30-day siege it's supposed to be six months okay ain't going well yeah. so uh, a lot of the men are going to suffer from the other unfortunate things like disease and starvation and uh, it's certainly going to play a lot into this. Now, there was a lot of variables that were out of control for MacArthur and all this. But of what he did control, you really have to uh, think of it this way. He had, it was him who had changed the plans at the last minute to afford this little, oh, I'll have B-17s and I'll attack Formosa. Yet he didn't initiate it. It was his own plan. So they wasted resources there. All these planes get destroyed on the ground. He doesn't initiate the war plan that's been around for 40-something fucking years at this point. It's the fallback. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And he, when he does do it, it's far too late. So basically, if his intention was to thwart the overall conquest of the Philippines, like, of course that was going to fail. There was just no way to stop the Japanese. There's overwhelming numbers. There's nothing to save the Philippines. He had basically crippled the whole defense. And now I know Ian would know this, but do you know what happens to MacArthur when his boys are fighting this horrible battle in Bataan? He sails away to Australia. Because the entire time... He's the prize. He's the mastermind. He's the only chance of victory. We will... Well, his famous quote of, I will be back. This... And from it, from it, this perspective, and with the narrative, why, why a lot of like I mean, I'm painting him bad. I why, like, yeah. no, but it, it, it's fair. And why a lot of historians dislike MacArthur is a lot of American commanders were fired for less, like oh, much of less. Of course, yes. But him, he had he, he was invincible. 
but you have to understand we had we had talked about how he has kind of this entourage yeah. public relations and from un- the portrait you're painting he sounds like a boxer who was paid to take a dive actually that's a i've never heard anyone call it that that's actually exactly what it was he was a boxer who was paid to take a dive and he wouldn't do it and he failed well, he wouldn't do it. He obviously did. He took a fucking dive. No, but half. I mean, he, he, he actually did not want the Philippines to be conquered. Because you have to understand, the rest of the war, the Philippines is the not... Po- the population of Philippines loves Love MacArthur. MacArthur is God. So when, when he yeah. did say those words, like, I will be back, it did galvanize the spirit of the Philippines that, okay, yeah, we are not forgotten. And they were not. No. Like, in truth, they were not. MacArthur sailed to Australia... But point being is, this is a lot of blunder in the defense. It could have been orchestrated so much. Oh, I, I have a little, a few so more tidbits. Yeah, I, I, obviously. And, and well, just jumping ahead, like he escapes to Australia, and at this point, he's untouchable by public opinion. Yeah. Again. So yeah, what I was gonna say is this public relations team he has, which Sutherland is at the forefront again, his butt buddy. They. During all of this fighting in the in the Philippines, America is America has not won any battles. Uh, kind of, there's some stuff on Wake that's kind of nice, but they're getting crushed. The Japanese are invincible, destroying everywhere. They need some kind of gleaming morale. The American people need morale. Something good has to come out of this. So they make him the shining. They hero. made him a rock star. Everything was about MacArthur and his boys in Bataan fighting. So. They they lifted him up to be a god, and then there was a situation where he was oh, put but, in a pedestal. Yeah. And what happens when you put a narcissist on a pedestal? Yeah. It feeds his already inflated ego. Yeah. But worse that what happens if that rock star gets captured by the Japanese? Now they have the biggest bargaining chip. Yeah. So much like morale saves. And everywhere. this gets even more complicated. MacArthur is going to be battling to be president of the United States against the current president, which is uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So they hate each other, uh, legendarily hate each other. FDR called him like public enemy number one. And uh, FDR would probably have tried to assassinate him if he could. But basically, MacArthur becomes a godlike figure. And even FDR, who wants to see him gone, can't afford to allow him to be taken by the Japanese. So FDR is forced to order him to basically be rescued, to be tossed over to Australia. They can't allow the Japanese to have him. So you've inevitably made a situation where you can't acknowledge this guy's a complete fuck up. And they just continuously glorify him. And what does MacArthur do for the rest of the war? He uses it to get his own per- to his own personal advantage. He pushes every agenda he can because he wants to become president of the United States. And he will try to run. But in the meantime, the United States... They're looking at, you know, all these plans. They're going to go through the Central Pacific and do all this stuff. He runs on the Democrat ticket, doesn't he? Republican. Yeah. He had friends in the Republican Party. Okay. And uh, when... <laughs> here, I'll, funny little piece of history. Uh, he had a Sutherland go to the United States to talk to his representative. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Speaker of the House of the Republican Party to see... Uh, they did a poll to see who would vote for MacArthur if he were to run. And everybody was okay and they would vote for MacArthur except for a single group of people who all voted not to elect him. Do you know who they were? They were KKK. members of the army that served under him. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the time, the KKK would be voting Democrats. 
yes, the Democrats at the time, were yeah. the Southern Party. At the time. Yeah, the, the, that was before the Great Switch. Oh, don't let's not talk about that on this podcast. We're not even Americans here; we're Canadians. We don't have to talk yes, about that. Yes, but twenty twenty four is going to be a very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, it's, it's already starting. It's going to be the most elections ever. Democracy's on the ticket. It's going to be the best election. Ever. Well, I'll just say this, America. You gotta fight the chance of uh, fascist uh, dictatorship by just currently having a fascist dictatorship. So that's an ironic one. Us as Canadians, we know all too well. Canadians fascist... know about fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're currently shackled to one. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, there. My podcast is off the air. There we go. Now it's <laughs> but, uh, to, to, to finish to finish off with MacArthur because I have to talk about this. A lot of people don't know these little tidbits information. During his time in the Philippines, while the battle's going on, just before he escapes, everyone knows about a famous transaction. He was given $500,000 by the president, Kuzan. Now, you think that's illegal? Um, technically, generals were still allowed, because he was in a civilian capacity, to receive this money. It still looks really bad. Other people are offered money, too, by the president. They don't take it, because you wouldn't. It's not mall, but he does. But something else happens. Just before Manila is taken by the Japanese, he secretly talks to an investor broker guy that he has. And uh, he buys a bunch of stocks in some mining companies in the Philippines at the last minute. Drains his accounts. And then he escapes. And those mining companies afterwards are worth like millions of dollars. Just saying. People, if you really want to know about MacArthur, you got to follow the money trail because that's where the real information is. And I could only say a little bit in the K&G video I wrote because I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole because there is some alleged information. But factually, some, yeah, there's reason to believe he was profiteering over the whole thing and that he probably knew the Japanese would have taken over the island in the first place and he, his bank account shows what he was actually thinking. Anyways, so he let it sink, cashed in his chips, and uh, thank you very much. Have a good night. Well, he pl- he played his cards right. We'll say that much, and a lot of people never talk about that. But uh, overall, uh, MacArthur will make more blunders in World War II, but uh, he's more famously regarded during the Korean War for bigger blunders. But uh, the Philippines, the initial Philippines defense was a disaster, and I'd argue it's a lot. A lot of it's his fault. Other than that, you know. He had a colorful career. He did some good, did some bad. And yeah, that was kind of the, the little, a little story about MacArthur. Well, he becomes a thorn, like at this point, this is where he becomes a thorn in the side for many. Everybody else in the military. It, it, it's just him in Australia. Yeah. I need this, I need this, I need this. And like, meanwhile, states is, okay, well, first of all, we have a Europe first policy. Yeah. Is it? No, I need it. And um, this is what starts to aggravate Eisenhower. Uh, then the Pacific, uh, uh, the U.S. Pacific fleet starts getting rebuilt, rearmed. No, I need it over here in Australia. Is it, well, first of all, we can't even get it to you yet. Like, we need to win the Central Pacific. Yeah. And okay, well, they're we'll put- fighting at the same time, but the Central yeah. Pacific was the good route to go, but he wanted to do a drive to the Philippines because. He had said on his personal character, we, we shall return. And he wanted to run for the White House. So during World War II, he does press the Australians, the Americans under him to do certain operations in this kind of like insane gambit 
to earn himself more glory because he's vetting and he's trying to win those even the if they lose it he's and almost uh, the hero that tried to take the Philippines back well, when it when it comes down to it like you got you have MacArthur in Australia and then you'd have Nimitz in, and like Central, from Pearl yeah. Harbor and Nimitz has his vision of how the war should go his yes. operations that he wants to uh, which take he's corrected and MacArthur <laughs> has his now um to to differ from you know, popular current belief, you know, the states is unlimited resources to... Back to then share. it wasn't like They that. did not. It, like, things are just starting to come off the production line. 70% to Europe, okay. 30% to the Pacific. We can only do one operation at a time, guys. Uh, so, decide. And uh, Nimitz and his benefactor, you know, Superior uh, Admiral King, it's like, no, we're, we're going to do this. And the entire time, no, no, we got to do this, we got to do this. And it just... It creates so much turmoil in Washington. It's like, oh yeah, oh who's who's in command of the Pacific, and like on paper and in realism, it is Nimitz. Nimitz is supposed to be in command of the Pacific fleet, yeah. uh, but in MacArthur's mind, no, I'm supreme commander. Like I, <laughs> it's true. Everything but, falls under my uh, leadership. Yeah, but then I ask you this, because if if you want to be devil's advocate for MacArthur, was Nimitz the leader of Japan after? MacArthur won. MacArthur won in the end. Everything. I mean, like, the drive to the Philippines, they did it. They shouldn't have. Uh, There's a lot of battles they shouldn't have done. Like, I'm sorry to the Philippines, but... In 44 and 45, there were a lot of uh, operations. Unnecessary ones. Unnecessary ones. But MacArthur did spearhead a lot of ambitious campaigns. Yeah, but uh, I don't want to get into this. Nimitz was a little bit more... Uh, pragmatic and he's a conservative. Well, yeah, but like they're trying but to save lives. Yeah, but that, that's, that was Nimitz's. He was like, okay, we can get it done without the needless like slaughter. But how could MacArthur be so gung ho in forty four and forty five, and yet stand completely passively when the Philippines are being taken? It oh, it's no two sense. different. There's two different MacArthur's. So yeah. if if there was a part two to this episode, I would talk about the New Guinea campaign. In the New Guinea campaign, which for the most part, it goes accordingly. There's a there's a very important aspect to it, which is against the place. Uh, there's Bunangona and San Ananda beside it. And MacArthur literally forces the men to go into a battle quicker than they should w- without being equipped. And there's an immense loss of life. And all the war planners, especially the Australian commanders, are like, we should have took our time and done this accordingly. And MacArthur would not hear of it because... The entire time World War II is going on, there's a race between MacArthur and Nimitz, and whoever's achieving the most will get the initiative for where they go in the war. So if you're looking at a map, Nimitz is going through the central part of the Pacific. MacArthur has to go over New Guinea, and he's doing like this kind of Western approach. And in MacArthur's head, the more he can achieve, the faster he can go, the more resources they will give to him so that he can continue the drive. And he sacrifices Australian, New Zealand, American lives to do this. And... People won't like to hear that, but it's true. And you just have to look at the Bunagona campaign. That is the best evidence of him going out of bounds and forcing this. And especially when he's like stealing command. He, he's basically not even the commander of the Australian forces. And he steals command. It's, it's a messed up story. But uh, that's all for this episode today. Because Craig's, what, we're only two beers in. But we got to do another podcast after this one. And I don't want to be too drunk for that. I, 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 was, I was wondering, are we going to say on the next one, 
Hey, for those watching, uh, we didn't just film a back-to-back podcast. We just happened to be wearing the same things. Yeah, we'll change yeah. sheets. So MacArthur, like, you go on, like, that's just like the brink of war. That's all we talk about, MacArthur. Yeah. And you, you had asked, like, um, I forget what the question was, but at the time, the States was, uh, pre, and I call it, like, pre-war States and during war states, there's they're two different entities, and, oh, yeah, and MacArthur was a victim of the same thing. Like yes. pre-war American command and during war command, like they're, they're two different beings entirely. And oh, you yeah. do you do see um, quite fast. In fact, the U.S. get their shit in Together. gear, yeah. and you know, oh, okay, like we were wrong. Well, you know the the thing about the United States that no one no one ever glorifies, but the change of command in the first year of the oh, war, yeah, it, especially the Marines, the like, Marines and the shuffling, like just, even at the lower levels, the echelon. And, and I said, like, commanders were were fired for so much less, and yeah. just MacArthur was untouchable, though. Like, look at Spru- Spruance, Halsey, and all these kind of guys. It's like the aggressive. Well, they're not all aggressive, but the aggressive guys. Well, were, they loved, they and Halsey loved each other, but like the rotating command between yeah. the two. Uh, but you have a commander Marine, like Fletcher. Marine generals oh, yeah, were general. fired like like this, you know, just oh, like yeah. a bad landing. They were let go, and it's like yeah. things entirely out of their uh, uh, control, you know, like landing on the beaches, and all of a sudden all your radios don't work, yeah. and you yeah, get fired for that. Yeah. But uh, that is all for this podcast. Uh, for those who are listening in on the audio platforms like Spotify, Please check out my YouTube channel. For the love of God, leave a like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, You can also catch me at the Pacific War Discord. And above all else, if you want to support the channel further, you can check out my Patreon account at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War channel, where you can find exclusive podcasts where I talk about some, to be honest, a lot more fucked up shit. (laughs) Like uh, this month's podcast is probably going to be about Operation uh, Fuku. Which was Japan trying to create Israel in Shanghai. And you heard that right. It'll be an interesting one. Go check it out. Thanks, guys, for being here. Yeah, pleasure. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay. I got a, I got a pee after you. Okay, let's take like.